About 10 years ago, um, as was mentioned, um, Mitchell and Rachel Ruth are in Cusco, Peru. Um, we were a part of the original team of three couples that went there. But about 10 years ago, we were trying to figure out where we were supposed to go. We believed that God wanted us on the mission field. Um, just out of curiosity, how do you turn this monitor on? Is there a power button? Yep. I got it. Yeah, thank you. Um, so we, we knew that we believed it was God's will, in light of everything we've talked about. We believed it was God's will that we go to the mission field. We just didn't know where. In fact, we had researched as a part of as our team, and we had narrowed it down to Spanish-speaking Latin America. So we talked to some, some people that we thought would kind of be able to help us. We talked to a guy um, at Free Hardeman, Mark Blackwelder. He gave us some insight, and he pointed us to a guy at Harding named Bill Richardson. And we told Dr. Richardson, we said, hey, we want to go to Latin America as a team. We want to plant churches there. Uh, where do you think we should go? And he sent us a whole list of about probably 15, 20 different cities that he thought needed missionaries from the United States. And he said, but my top two picks are Cusco, Peru, and La Paz, Bolivia. And you got La Paz on the top and Cusco on the bottom. And we said, we wrote back and said, well, listen, if you think those places need it the most, we were interested in those two cities. And he wrote back right away and he said, well, I will take you this summer. He'd never met us. He didn't know us, but he took us to visit Cusco, Peru and La Paz, Bolivia. I guess that was, wow, 11 years ago, summer of 06. And then that fall we came back and we had to decide which of these places we wanted to go to. And I remember as we were trying to figure this out, we were asking God, what is, what is your will? Where do you want us to go? We want to go where you want us to go. And after having visited those places, we decided, at least the majority of the team, decided that we needed to go to La Paz, Bolivia. And five out of the six people on our team, one of the married couples was split on it, said, we want to go, we need to go to La Paz, we need to go to La Paz. I've never experienced conflict on a team like we experienced in those, those months as we tried to hash that out. Our team split up over it, then we got back together and you know where we ended up, right? You know where the Ruths are now. They're in Cusco, Peru, which is not the place that we originally thought we needed to go. It's funny how that works sometimes, but here's what I think happened. I believe that God guided us on the process. He never spoke to us directly. He never said, he never, there was no, no fleece that he, we said, okay, if it's Cusco or La Paz, let the fleece be dry. There was none of that. Would have made life a lot easier, but he never did that. But I believe he guided the process that got us to Cusco, Peru. Now, here's what I also believe. I believe that had we ended up in La Paz or Cusco, Peru, we could have been in the middle of his will by growing in Christ-likeness. But I really believe he guided us in the process to get to where we were. Now, the question is, how does he do that? How does God guide us? There's Cusco. Um, this morning we said, don't be trying to figure out the maze again. This morning we said that the will of God is not like this morning, an hour ago, we said that the will of God is not like a maze, a, an imaginary maze that we have to find our way through with the hopes that we'll make all the right turns so that then we will be in the middle of God's will. That's not the good God that we serve. He's not, he's not trying to trick us. He's not hiding anything from us. He's not looking down on us from above, waiting for us to make the wrong turns so that He can hit the trap door button and game over we lose. No. We said that the will of God for our lives, regardless of where we end up, whether we're in Winchester or Washington, Pittsburgh or Peru, Henderson or Las Vegas, wherever we end up, God's will for our lives is that we grow in Christ-likeness. Now, 
you may have walked away from our discussion this morning and think and thought, well, God doesn't care then. Doesn't, I can do whatever I want to. He just wants me to grow in Christ-likeness. He doesn't care what decision I make or where I go. And I don't think that's the case either. He does care. He is a good God. And I think He wants us to make good decisions that will affect our lives in positive ways. And so the question then this afternoon for just a few minutes is, how does He help us to make these decisions if He's not going to tell us exactly where we should go? Now let me be clear, as we talk about these sorts of decisions and how He's going to help us in this way to figure out what's next in our lives, we are talking about non-moral or non-ethical decisions. When it comes to moral or ethical decisions, when it comes to matters about which Scripture is spoken clearly, we don't need God to help us make those decisions. Those decisions have already been, been made. Now, we want His help as we seek to interpret Scripture, and there's some sticky issues. But when it comes to especially decisions between moral issues, there's not a whole lot to be said about that. We're talking about non-moral issues about which the Bible says very little. For example, where you're going to go to college. I wish I could cite a verse that said, that says, thou shalt go to this place for this reason, and you had some exact way to figure that out. Scripture doesn't do that. Which job to take? What, what major to choose? There aren't exact Scriptures that are going to tell you what to do. You need in those cases, when you face the decisions of life about what's next, you need God to guide you and help you. So, how does He do that? Turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 2 for just a minute. Now, I mean, this is the Sunday afternoon after lunch crowd. So this is... I mean, this is a smart audience now. So if I were to say, okay, what one word describes the book of Proverbs? What, what one word is the book of Proverbs about? And I'm going to count to three and you guys say it, okay? It's the one word, Proverbs is all about it. One, two, three. Wisdom, that's right, good. I knew it. This is the, this, you guys are a smart audience. So yeah, Proverbs is all about wisdom, how we can attain it, how we should seek it, and how valuable it is in our lives. So let's read. Proverbs chapter 2, and we'll start with verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. So, that's rather clear, isn't it? The Lord gives us wisdom. Proverbs is all about wisdom. Let's go back to verse 1 of chapter 2 and watch how wisdom is described. And particularly, what I want you to look for here is what our posture towards wisdom ought to be. If God gives it to us, What should our attitude be towards it? Verse 1, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, understanding and insight would be synonyms of wisdom. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God for the Lord gives wisdom. So what is to be our attitude or posture towards wisdom? Well, we are to make our ears attentive to it, incline our hearts to it, call out for it, seek it like silver. So here's, here's my question. As we think about how God might guide us, could it be that the way He guides us to figure out what's next is not that we have to push just the right buttons and pray just the right things so that He'll reveal it to us, but could it be instead that God gives wisdom to make decisions about what's next. Instead, again, of trying to figure it out and pushing all the right buttons, that there's a simpler way, instead of it being an imaginary maze that we have to 
weave our way through that instead God promise, promises to give us wisdom to make decisions about what's next. And in particular in this passage, did you notice the things that are mentioned? He says, for example, in verse 1, treasure up my commandments. Might that have connection to finding wisdom in the Word of God? Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Might that have connection to seeking counsel from other people? Verse 3, yes, if you call out for insight, might that have connection to praying for wisdom? So could it be that the ways that we get wisdom from God are through Scripture by praying for it and seeking counsel from other people? When I first started really kind of trying to figure this stuff out on the will of God about a year and a half ago, I thought I was going to find something really cool. I wanted to find something really different and insightful and a way to say it really, just in a really relevant way. But you know what I discovered? I discovered that the ways that we find wisdom and the way that God guides us are the same things I've been taught my whole life. It turns out my parents and my home church were right. That God gives me wisdom through His Word when I pray for it and He gives it to me and then when I seek the counsel of other people. So here's what I want to do. This morning was kind of theoretical, right? Kind of difficult to apply. What I want to do this afternoon is talk to you for, again, just a minute as to how you can seek this wisdom, how you can gain this wisdom, and some specific ways in which you can do it. All right, so let's start with the first one. And I'm going to really skim the first two and dive into the last one for the sake of our time. God gives us wisdom, first of all, through Scripture. So when we open up Scripture, there are some things that Scripture is very clear about, right? It is, those are, that's not wisdom. For example, when you're trying to make a decision about, uh, let's say, telling the truth or not telling the truth, while there is wisdom about that thing and it's wise to tell the truth, that's not really a matter of wisdom. It is a matter of right and wrong. But when it comes to decisions about, what, about jobs and careers and college and financial decisions, those are decisions of, of wisdom. And the Bible gives us wisdom through principles. Now, we could spend a lot of time and I could talk to you about how to get these principles. Let me just give you one example of how a principle works. A principle is, not, a, principle is a universal truth that's always true, and you can't obey it or disobey it. For example, Galatians chapter 6, you reap what you sow, would be the general principle from there. He who rows, or sows sparingly will reap sparingly, you know the whole thing. You reap what you sow. You can't obey that or dis, you can't disobey that. It's just true, right? And so what if, when it comes to the decisions that you'll make that are not moral or ethical decisions, what if you began to, as you read Scripture and you hear Scripture preached, you began to write down all of the wisdom principles that you discover in Scripture. Maybe you write them in the back of your Bible. And maybe you'd start with, you reap what you sow. Or, bad company corrupts good morals. And you just kept this list. You can't obey or disobey them, but they are principles by which you can make wise decisions about the future. And imagine after several years, the incredible list of wise principles you could have as you read Scripture and wrote those down. So we spent a lot of time talking about that. We'll stop there, though. You gain some wise principles from Scripture. Secondly, we gain wisdom from God through prayer. James 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Let me ask you just a couple of questions about this one. Is God a generous God? Yes. Does God want us to make wise decisions? Yes. Does He promise to give us wisdom generously if we ask Him? 
Yes. So this one's simple. How do you, what's the nuts and bolts thing you do to gain wisdom from God through prayer? You just ask. Now, I don't know how it works. I can't explain to you from some Western scientific perspective as exactly how God gives you wisdom when you ask Him for it. But you better believe I, I believe the promise that I find in Scripture. That if we ask for wisdom, He will give it to us. Especially as we're making decisions. And so maybe as you think about trying to figure out the will of God and you pray, Lord, please reveal Your will to me. Maybe the better thing to pray is, God, give me wisdom to make wise decisions. Because I know you're likely not going to tell me exactly which way to go, but you will, you have promised to give me wisdom. And imagine how our decision-making would improve if we asked God for the wisdom that He promised to give us. And then the last one, and probably the one that's most neglected, and the one I want to spend just a few minutes on, is this. One of the best ways to gain wisdom from other people, or from, for decision-making, is to ask other people. Or to get counsel, ask other Christians for wisdom about what's next. This morning when we opened up our Bible class session, some of you may have been in classes, I told you a story about how my wife and I had made a decision about something we were going to do. It was kind of a big commitment, a big responsibility. We thought it was the will of God. And then we, we thought, well, maybe we should ask some people who have some more experience than us. And all of them said, no, nah, we don't think it's a good idea at all. And we listened to those folks. That was doing this, even though I hadn't really thought through this. Turn to Proverbs again. You may still already be there. Let me just point you to five or six places really quick where the Proverbs writer reminds us of how important it is to seek counsel and wisdom. So let's start in chapter 1, verse 5. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands, you want to be a wise person who understands, obtain guidance. Skip to Proverbs 11. 11 verse 14. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Chapter 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Chapter 15, Proverbs 15, verse 22, good sense is a fountain of life to him who has it, but the instruction of fools is folly. I may have gone too far, didn't I? Yeah, I went way too far. So chapter 15, 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Skip to chapter 19 of Proverbs, just a couple more. Proverbs 19, verse 20, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. And one more. Skip to chapter 27. Proverbs 27, verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. As you seek to make wise decisions about the future and about what's next, perhaps one of the best ways to follow God is by following people who follow God and have a history of making good decisions and wise decisions. If you want to follow God's wisdom, then perhaps we should go to people and ask for advice from God's people who are wise. People who are in places that you would like to end up in someday. Now, you know why we don't do this, right? 
Of all the three, this is the one that we like the least. And the first reason we don't like this is pride, right? I don't want to go ask somebody else for advice because I think I've got it all figured out. I don't need anybody's help. And pride prevents us from actually practicing what Proverbs is so clear about us doing. The second reason that we often don't want to do this is because we already know what we're going to hear before we go ask them about it. You ever been there before? You know what they're going to say. And so you think, well, you know what, I'm not even going to talk to them because I already know what the wise thing is and I don't want to, I don't want to hear it. So here's the question. How do you do this? Let's say that you've got a big decision coming up and you've decided, okay, I'm going to talk to some folks. I'm going to get some wisdom from, from other Christians. What would that look like? Let me give you just a couple of, of practical things that you can do to live this out. First of all, I would suggest making a who you're going to call list. And maybe this has five names on it so that the next time that you have a decision and you need some counsel from someone else, you don't have to think about it. You've got your who you're going to call list. And so you write five names down of the wisest people you know that you could go to for counsel. Now let me give you a second way that you can do this list. You might break it up into three or four categories. Let's say the categories are spiritual life, family life, career life, and financial life. And under each one of those categories, you put three names of people who are in places that you want to be someday. You believe they've made wise decisions to get to where they're at, and so you say, okay, I want to be like that. Next time I've got a, a decision that's connected to my family, I'm going to go talk to one of these three. Maybe all three of those people are financial and on down the list. So make a who you're going to call list is a great way to at least think ahead of ways that you can begin asking for counsel. But again, what's it look like if you, if you actually do this? Let me give you just a couple of things. Number one, choose someone who has nothing to lose by telling you the truth. So, young people, you should always ask your mama what she thinks about these decisions. But let me give you some, some additional advice. Let's say you're in college. We've got a couple college students here. And you're trying to figure out what you want to do next summer. And you've got two options. One is to do an internship here in Winchester, get, or get a job here in Winchester, or you've got this internship offer in California. Now, there's some several different filters that you might go through, but if you go to your mom and say, here's my two options, mom, what do you think, I'm, what do you think I should do? You know what your mom's going to say. Your mom's going to say, well, honey, I will cook you a meal every night and do your laundry every day if you'll stay home this summer. Now, again, you should totally listen to your mom, but perhaps you should not just only talk to a person who has something to lose. Another example might be, um, again, for those who are kind of in the dating, the dating world, if you're thinking about breaking up with somebody, you probably shouldn't talk, to it, uh, talk about it to your girlfriend or boyfriend's closest friends, right? Because that's not, in fact, I speak from experience. It's a bad, bad idea. Um, don't, don't do that. So you're not going to go to someone who has, who, you need to choose someone who has nothing to lose by telling you the truth. Secondly, you should ask more than one person. For obvious reasons, you need to get a variety of perspectives from people who have some wisdom and who also care about you. And number three, we need to be careful about using God as an excuse to ignore wise counsel. And here's what I mean by that. When you go into a conversation, perhaps, let's just say you come to me and you've got a decision to make and you're thinking about a couple options and you say something like this to me. Okay, here are my options. I really believe that God is leading me to do this. Or you might even say, God has definitely led me to do this. What am I supposed to say to that? Am I supposed to be like, actually, God is wrong? No. No. What you've done is when you use, or people say things like, God has laid it on my heart. 
And then they go ask somebody else for advice about that decision. Well, the problem is you've used God as a trump card because the person you've asked for advice, what are they supposed to say when you already believe and are stating matter-of-factly that you believe God wants you to do this? Or you might even say, God wants me to do this. Now, there's nothing wrong with using that sort of language, but you might say, I think God is leading me to do this, but I need some help in trying to figure this out. Because again, when you speak matter-of-factly about what it is you think God wants you to do, the person to whom you're speaking, you've kind of shut them off already. You've put up a wall and they can't really say anything if you think it's God that's leading you to do that. So be careful about using God as a trump card. Let me give you three questions to ask. Let's say you go into a situation and you want help from somebody. Here's what you might ask. First of all, you might ask, are there any, are any of the options I'm considering outside the boundaries of Scripture? Now, when it comes to wisdom, we're not talking about decisions that have to do with obeying Scripture or not. That's not what we're talking about. But it may be that you've missed something, and you've come to the point where you're making a decision between two things, and someone else might say, actually, you've kind of missed something from Scripture here that actually speaks to this situation. And so that's an important first question to ask. The second question you might ask is, what do you think the best thing is for me to do? What should, what, what should I do? The third question is similar, but there's an important distinction. And here's the question, what would you do if you were me? Now, if you come to me and say, I've got these two open doors, which one should I go? I might, be, I might choose the very adventurous one. I, mean, I might be like, man, you got one shot at this, go for it, that's awesome. But then when you say, hey, what would you do if you were me? That gives me a little bit of pause to say, well, maybe if I were in your shoes, I would think twice about doing, or if my kids were in your shoes, I'd think twice about doing that. So these are three questions that I think are helpful in trying to figure out, or trying to ask people, or when you are asking people for counsel about what you should do next. So, what's God's will for our lives? Not some imaginary maze that you've got to find your way through. Far simpler than that. God's will for your life is growth in Christ-likeness regardless of where you end up. But as you make decisions about where you're going to end up, God guides us because, or He guides us when He gives us wisdom. God's wisdom, God gives wisdom to make decisions about what's next. So as we wrap up our whole discussion today, let me give you two challenges based on everything we've said today. Here's the first one. Number one, stop worrying about what's next and seek Christ-likeness. If, if you're worried about decisions, if you're stressed out about what's next, I would say stop worrying about all that. You've got some tough decisions, but your first goal, God's first goal for you, is that you grow in Christ-likeness. And then my second challenge for you as we wrap up today is this. Instead of seeking God's will for what's next, seek God's wisdom for what's next. Instead of praying, God, please, please let me understand your will or your plan for my life, you might ask, God, give me wisdom, which you promised to do as I make decisions about the future. As we wrap up today, again, I've thoroughly enjoyed being with you today. I can't help but to think about my grandparents' generation. Uh, maybe for some of you, your parents' or great-grandparents' generation. My great-grandfather, or not my great-grandfather, my grandfather grew up in the, the hills of um, Cross, around Crossville. can't remember the name of the county. Um, but grew up in the, the, the hills around Crossville, Tennessee. Um, grew up poor, grew up on a farm. Um, once he, he 
went through the school through eighth grade, stayed around, helped on the farm, and then he went and fought in World War II. When he came back home, he needed work, didn't have a whole lot of work, and so he moved up north to near Cleveland, Ohio, where he got a job in a factory, like a lot of people from that area did. He was never rich. Again, he worked in a factory, but he built his own house. He worked hard, built his own house. He was never what you would call, I think, a a leader in the church. He was never an elder, but he was a quiet, respected leader in the church. He taught the teenage class for years. He loved people, and he served people. Now, some might look at my grandfather's life and think, there's nothing spectacular about that. And from a worldly perspective, you're right, there was nothing spectacular about it. In fact, as I think about him and the will of God and really any of the discussion we had today, he might have said, what are you even talking about? When I was growing up, I had one choice, one or two choices. There wasn't wasn't all these options. I just did what I had to do. So some might say there was nothing spectacular about his life, but I would say it was a great life, and here's why. He didn't have a lot of choices. He didn't do anything incredible that a bunch of people are writing books about or, or blogs about. No. He simply, Ecclesiastes 12 says, feared God and kept His commandments. And I think because he did that, he was right in the middle of the will of God, even though that language may confuse him if I were to describe it to him in, in that way. He passed away several years ago. Listen, God's will is not a magic eight ball. It's not an imaginary maze. Some of you, I hope, will go on to do incredible things. I mean, just incredible things that astound all of us. But some of us are going to live here in, in Winchester, Tennessee for the rest of our lives, and no one will look and say, oh, that was incredible. Some of you will get rich. Some of you are rich. Some of you will spend the rest of your lives feeling as if you're barely scraping by. Some of you will have kids. Some of you have had kids. Some of you won't have kids, don't have kids, possibly can't have kids. Some of you have dreams for international prestige. Perhaps you have dreams that are international in their focus. But others of you perhaps just want a joyful home. Here's Here's what I would say to you. Whatever describes you, regardless of where you end up, if you love God, love your neighbor, and seek to grow in Christ-likeness. Whether you're successful or not successful, whether you're rich or poor, whether you have prestige or none, if growth in Christ-likeness is a descriptor of your life, then you will have a great life. And you can confidently believe that you are smack dab in the center of the will of God. And you don't have to worry about finding the center of God's will because you are in it. Today, we can help you in any way to discover your relationship with God and really find the center of God's will with a relationship with Him. We'd love to do so. Always stand and sing.